On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Brent Curry of BikeCAD. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone and I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world, and uh, usually that's frame builders, and um, and not always. And so this week I'm talking to Brent Curry from BikeCAD. He's in Ottawa, Canada, and uh, he developed a product. You know, that's it's the name is very descriptive, BikeCAD. He developed this product in the '90s, and uh, and it's hard to imagine sort of like the the sort of contemporary frame building as we know it today, it's hard to imagine that without BikeCAD because um, though you can make bikes without it, almost nobody does. Uh, it's, it's kind of it's crazy, the pervasiveness of this software, but it's just it's really, uh, it's really powerful. And for its price, it just provides a lot of value. And so uh, I've, I've owned it since 2012 or somewhere in there. And, um, and it's just what, what it does is like you can learn to build bikes without CAD software at all. And so some places that you go will teach you how to take a, you know, to draw your bike on a full-size sheet of paper at full scale. And, um, and then, you know, once you've drawn the bike up, you maybe start at the bottom bracket and then you move, you know, in this direction and that direction. And it's like, a, it's like you know, you would do drafting or something. You, you use a straight edge and maybe a, a T-square or a protractor or whatever. You can draw up a full-scale model in two dimensions and then you can take measurements from point to point and now you have a way to know how long your cuts are in the bike frame and, and the angles of the different things. Uh, the issue with that is, uh, as I see it, is that if you want to do great work, um, you want the design process to be emphasized and you want to be able to iterate with the design process. And so, um, you know, you, you don't just want to like draw the bike once and then say, what would this look like if I dropped the bottom bracket five millimeters? I think maybe I should do that. And then you're like, well, it's going to take me a half an hour to do another drawing or whatever, or maybe it didn't take that long. But um, whatever the case, uh, when you can tweak variables without having to start over and, and redo the entire thing, uh, it, it, it makes it easier for you to come out with a, a product that's really fully baked and fully thought through. And, um, and, and similarly to, you know, in the moment, uh, being like, wow, you know, if I drop the bottom bracket, I got to redraw the whole thing because that changes the down tube miter angle and the head tube length and everything. But similarly, uh, when you're just learning about frame design, if you can tweak and change variables uh, and see in real time how one parameter affects another, uh, that's really powerful. Now, you can also get something like SolidWorks or some other software that's really powerful in terms of, you know, you could build bridges or, or airplanes, you know, with this software probably. Um, but, but the beauty of BikeCAD is that, well, it's cheaper than these softwares. And then also uh, BikeCAD is bike frame building specific. And so you can enter values that are, um, you know, there's just dialog boxes that are set up where you can enter in your effective top tube length or your front center length or your bottom bracket drop or your bottom bracket height. There's different ways that you can toggle the, the sort of the scheme of things <clears throat> and you can change it partway through. And it's just, it's really streamlined and, and it's, uh, it's set up well for the task of building bike frames. And so like there are other ways to, you know, uh, to get the job done, but I don't think any of them really uh, perform on the same level. And so even if you were going to make a, uh, a fully fleshed out 3D model of your bike frame in something like SolidWorks, I, I would recommend for most people to start the design in BikeCAD anyway and get the 2D geometry nailed down 
and then and then you know build off of that uh, afterward. But anyhow, I just think it's a really valuable product, and it's hard to even imagine the industry where it would be uh, without that because it, it just makes it, it allows it it allows people to make a better product more easily. And so uh, I've always uh, I've always been proud of it. And and also Brent shows up at the shows, and uh, you know he answers customer emails really quickly. And he has YouTube videos that explain the functionality of things. And I just think it's great. And I like Brent. And so I wanted to have him on the show and to get some of the history. Because uh, as, as we learned in the interview, you know, he, when he was in college to be an engineer in the 90s, he did uh, different, um, it's called like co-ops or something, but he did different sort of like uh, work-study internship things uh, with different bicycle-related companies. And he ended up doing CAD modeling of bike frames. And then he decided he was going to uh, make a you know a, a simple program, and then in 2004 he started selling that program, and so we go through that history, and then you know he wanted to make some bikes, and so he made a couple tandems, and I don't know if he, I think he made some more straightforward bikes, but he definitely made some real whimsical and wacky bikes, some art bikes as he calls them. He made like a couch bike and a treadmill bike, and I think I've seen some other ones that used to be on his bicycle forest website, like a, it might have been one with an eccentric wheel where you you hop as you ride it. And if you get into the rhythm of it, you can kind of, um, ride it or so he made some real weird and interesting stuff. Uh, so anyway, it's cool to talk to him a little bit about fabrication and stuff too. Cause I'd never really heard, heard about that from him and, um, to see, you know, what, what kind of stuff, uh, got him interested in that in the first place. And where I cut into the interview with Brent here, I had asked him just to fill us in on the backstory of how BikeCAD began and uh, how he got started with that project. Yeah, well, uh, I guess uh, I went to school at the University of Waterloo for mechanical engineering, and they have a a co-op program there. So I did all my co-op jobs for bike companies. And um, during those jobs, uh, a common role for me was to, to model bikes on some sort of CAD system and uh, back then I guess that was the mid 90s um, we had, at the various places I was at we had varying degrees of uh, CAD software and a lot of the time we were just scrounging on limited budget so at, at one point I guess when I was working for Chris DeKerf at DeKerf Cycle Innovations in Vancouver mm-hmm. um, I wound up developing a, a little bit of a, a spreadsheet to work out frame geometry and actually use the spreadsheet to generate a little graph that was a picture of the bike. And um, I, when I graduated uh, in 98, I um, just, I guess I had this goal of building some of my own bikes and uh, and I I thought it would be fun to to create a program to help me work out the geometry of the bike. And I, I sort of started uh, with some of the ideas I developed in this spreadsheet that I created at the Curf. And um, so I just made this little Java applet. And so a Java applet at the time was a program that would run inside a web browser. Mm-hmm. And um, I was mostly just developing it for, for, for fun. I mean, yeah, I say I, wanted to make it for my own bikes, but, uh, but also, I mean, at the time I also had access to proper CAD software and I could have just modeled the bikes I was going to design on, on this CAD software I already had, Mm -hmm. but, but so it was just, it was actually, it was also just a little bit, um, for fun. I wanted to make this program and, um, 
And uh, so I, I did that and learned a, a little bit of coding along the way and proceeded to build uh, a few mountain bikes for myself and uh, a couple, I guess I built a, three tandems between a, uh, myself and a friend of, of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd also developed this like um, variation of bike CAD called Tandem CAD that modeled <laughs> tandems for the purpose of making my own tandems. But uh, yeah, I, I, it was freely available on my website that uh, I was developing at the time for my initial incarnation of my business, which was a bicycle rental business. Mm-hmm. Um, I just made this this applet uh, freely available on my site for whoever might have have wanted to use it, and uh, didn't think much of it for a long time. I I guess it was shortly thereafter that I first heard from Don Walker, uh, who uh, went on to NAB's fame, but um, he was I guess one of the earlier adopters of it, and. And uh, and I also heard from uh, the people at uh, Serata Cycles in New York State, and uh, mm-hmm. so Serata uh, asked if they could, if I could customize my applet for for their purposes. And so I worked with them for a little while to develop this this variation that was on the Serata site for a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess just in working with them. Um, I came to realize that there was probably potential to to actually turn this into some sort of commercial product that I could sell to to any frame builder, and um, so I started to do that. And uh, I guess I think it was around 2004 that I first started selling by CAD, and um, I've just been adding functionality to it ever since. Yeah, and so uh, I remember when I first heard about BikeCAD and was getting into frame building, I would have been around 2010 or or thereabouts. Yeah, you could go on the Bicycle Forest website and you could use an online free limited version, which I think would be a Java applet, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, is that not a feature of the website anymore? It, it is still a feature of my website, and okay. um, I, I guess... Since then, I guess browsers have evolved and uh, Java has evolved. I guess it, back in the day, I guess the, the applets that you could make were kind of crude and, and whatnot, as was mine. But uh, what was really neat about them is that anyone could run them. And uh, like if you had a browser, it would, al- it would always run a Java applet. And mm-hmm. um, so it was just a really easy way uh, f- I, to introduce people to to the program, it like didn't require any sort of uh, effort on the on the user's part. They didn't have to install anything. They just go to a web page, and boom, up came this little little widget that they could play with. And I thought that was pretty cool. And I think I I did um, um, manage to sort of entice people to check out my applet. Yeah, more more than they would have some other. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I but, think I I played with the free version on the website, and then I later bought the the full version of it, and so I mean, it definitely helped me uh, become familiar with it. Yeah. So I guess what what's unfortunate is that now um, Java applets are actually really tricky to run in browsers. They're they're not really supported anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a period of time where I I did 
and I still do. I mean, you can still run it actually uh, if you if you have just the right browser and you set all your security settings just right. And I used to r- really make a big effort to educate people on how they could run this free version. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was it was a real headache because people were it was just so complicated and uh, so many people struggled with it and actually got like angry when it it wouldn't work or, or they couldn't get it to work and um, so what went from this thing that I thought was really cool because it was so easy and it caused mm-hmm. no stress for anyone <laughs> became this thing that caused a lot of stress and uh, so I guess I. My own stubbornness kind of played into that too. I should have just uh, maybe changed things a little sooner than I did. But one thing that was uh, that I was relieved to learn about is um, this uh, a company out of Europe. I can't remember actually which country in Europe, Switzerland, I think. Um, Leaning Tech uh, came up with this thing um, that it's it's a JavaScript. version it, what is how, I don't even know how to describe it it's so JavaScript and Java are totally different things JavaScript mm-hmm. to this day is a very popular language that runs in um, well, a- any website you go to almost guaranteed is going to have JavaScript associated with it anyway um, they've taken this uh, they've created their own uh, JavaScript virtual machine that uh, can they can take a Java applet and, and convert everything to JavaScript. And uh, so I now have a, I'm a now, I now use them to, uh, to, to create this version of ByteCAD that will run in any browser um, without any need for a Java plugin because it uses this JavaScript gotcha. interpreter. Anyway, um, it's a little, the downside of that is it, very slow and it takes a long, long time to load, but uh, mm. I, I no longer have to deal with uh, as many... Um, Compatibility uh, yeah, issues. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that it, it remains an option to check out ByteCAD for, for free on my website. Uh, it does run in your web browser with any sort of, without any plug-in or anything. It just takes a little while to, to run, and people do continue to it, people are using it all the time, adding new models to this part of my site called the Design Archive, where you can share share your designs with with people, or just store your own designs for future use. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it continues to see a lot of a lot of action, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, when you uh, so so uh, you said you you had this idea to make a bicycle rental business, and that was what Bicycle Forest was. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I guess after I, I got into, I went to school for mechanical engineering because I love bikes, and I, I wanted to maybe create a, have a career in in the cycling industry, and and I, I felt very fortunate to have all those experiences I did in, in my co op work terms with all the different bike companies. Um, but I, I kind of concluded at the end that I, I didn't necessarily want to go and work for a bike company. I, um, kind of wanted to design my own bikes and, and what I felt I was really excited about at the time, um, more so than, 
any conventional bike that a bike company was making was like more art bikes. So mm -hmm. uh, I wanted to build these art bikes, but didn't think there was ever going to be a market to sell them. So I thought, well, maybe I build them and then like rent them out because people would probably like to ride them for a short time, just not own them. And Yeah, the um, novelty. So I, I, yeah, so I, that that's what... Um, that's how I was able to justify mm -hmm. uh, all the, the time I was spending in building these wacky things. Like um, I took my living room couch and built a giant four-wheeled bike frame that went underneath it and um, <laughs> built a, a thing I called the treadmill bike, which is just a giant <laughs> treadmill on, on wheels. And, um, that must I, be a I lot. A the treadmill of, bike must be so much effort to get anywhere. It is, yeah. I guess that, <laughs> and that's part of the joke. I guess I just really built it as a joke. Uh, yeah, poke fun no, at all sure. the people that drive their cars to the gym only to run on a treadmill. Uh huh. Um, yeah, no, I mean I that, that, that would actually be a lot of fun to uh, to go and rent those bikes for a day, and then you know you imagine people are like, uh, you know, taking pictures of themselves to so they can show their friends how how silly these bikes are or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So I had a lot of fun with that. I, I guess I had aspirations of some time down the road, like making this giant or this this bicycle specific theme park type thing, where all these wacky bikes are driving around some trail or something. But um, I ne <laughs> never quite realized that goal. Always just kind of operated out of my house, and uh, but. But had fun um, on weekends. People would come around and just try out my collection of bikes. So a lot of, I had a lot of bikes that I had built myself, and as well as a bunch of commercially available bikes that were more unusual, like recumbents and tandems and unicycles and mm -hmm. rowing bikes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, subsequently, I guess over the years, I've. I've moved a few times. I started out in Kitchener, Waterloo, Ontario, and and then um, a few years ago, my wife got a job in Vancouver, BC. So we moved out west, and I had to purge a lot of bikes then. Although we held on to our house in Kitchener when we left, and stored a lot of my bikes there, and also sort of at various friends' houses. Mm -hmm. And then we moved again back from. Vancouver to Ottawa where we're now living and um so I had to and then we sold our house in Kitchener and purge a lot of my bikes and now uh now I've really pared it down and I don't have quite the quite the collection I once did mm -hmm. but but since then I guess uh I guess it's actually been quite a few years now that bike Cat has really taken over and and that is my primary focus now just yeah um adding functionality to that program and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so Bike Cat itself. I think uh, you know we've established through the podcast, and I've noticed from talking to different builders in the in the years that I've been interested in this that it's just uh, Bike Cat itself is such a powerful piece of software. In that, you know, it's not the most powerful CAD software in terms of what it can render, or in terms of like uh, you know the three D component of it or something. But what makes it so good is that you don't need to know or own more powerful CAD software and uh, you know you could build fully uh, parametric models of bikes where you know you enter for instance your 
your uh, front center distance that you want and then you you enter in your head tube angle and you're entering this and you have driving and driven dimensions and it tells you how long your down tube is going to be and it tells you how long your top tube is going to be because those were not driving considerations those were driven and then you could do all that stuff but it would it would require a lot of um, understanding of the software and then what I think really makes Bikecad you know powerful even beyond that is that it's just all laid out for you. If you wanted to change the scheme of how the whole front end is calculated in BikeCAD, you can switch from using like effective top tube length to using, you know, front center to using the one that's based on like a handlebar reach or something. And there's, you can change it at any point and it reconfigures. Well, it stays the same, but then it changes how, how things are calculated and, uh, and that there's all these dimensions in the dimensions dialog box and you can just turn them on. You know, whereas if you if you had some other CAD, so it would just be a really huge, huge project to try and turn like a SolidWorks model or something uh, into something that user friendly. Even if you knew how, it would just take an incredible amount of time. And yet, for for a pretty affordable price, you can just buy a license of bike CAD. Uh, that's what I think makes it so good. And um, and it's cool then to see how you're always like updating it. Uh, like, like, what are some of the big updates you've done since it was released uh, or, you know, in the last five years or something? Yeah, well, I guess, uh, yeah, when I first released it, it was just a very crude um, representation of the frame, um, no colors or anything. And, and, and then I started to add more representation of components and, uh, and then put the rider on the bike. You can model a rider and drive the geometry based on the, the rider's dimensions. Um, and eventually, I guess, uh, it's largely through Serata that I started to make um, the program set up so you could develop paint schemes and colors and things. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess more, well, along the way I, I made the tubes such that you can bend the tubes and put fillets on, on joints to better represent, um, well, uh, anything from a fillet braised frame to, uh, some sort of carbon fiber bike with mm -hmm. a large fillet joint. Um, um, yeah, I, I guess, uh, yeah, little by little, just small, small changes of have added up to a significantly different program than what I started with. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I'm excited. I'm about to, well, in the next few weeks, hopefully, before Philly, I'll have a version 15 out. And um, so in version 15, I've um, got water bottles set up so you can model water bottles on any tube you want. And I've um, accounted for the salsa anything cage, which uses a three-bolt pattern now. So you can... Mm -hmm do that you can map them on forks and wow. um you can add chainstay yokes and um so there's a i guess that's become a kind of a popular thing to just include a yoke in your chainstays rather than yeah. trying to to bend around all that complicated geometry mm -hmm. um when you're adding extra tubes um I, that's a feature I added a few years ago, but you can only add them in the front triangle. Now you can incorporate the <clears throat> seat stays and chain stays, link them up with extra tubes, and e-bikes are getting more and more popular. So oh, I've, yeah, I hadn't even thought I'm about that. I'm constantly adding more, 
more e-bike motors for the upcoming version. Um, handlebars, I guess, uh, drop handlebars now sometimes actually have some rise on them, so I've accounted for that. Um, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, so so you made those changes. Something that I noticed uh, in BikeCAD that I always uh, thought was – I mean, I understand why um, it's complicated and why it would not be the primary focus of the software. But something that I always wanted to see more development with, and I have seen some, is in the in the like auxiliary stay view, uh, especially when you're doing like okay. you know anything in the rear yeah. end. You yeah, know, same thing with the chainstay yokes too. It's just like the front end is really important to fit and handling and geometry, and the rear end is where you spend most of the time as a fabricator because you have all those tighter joints and everything is doubled up. You know, you have you have yeah. all those tubes there, and so, um, and I've learned to use that better too. I think something that's been interesting for me as a bike CAD user is that every time I think I have some some idea, and then I'm you know I want to ask you how I can do something or say like you know you really need to add this to the software, and then you always like very politely you quickly respond to my email and you'll very politely say you know you can already do that, and then this is how. <laughs> and it seems like usually when I think of something, it's like it's already been thought of. And, um, and I just didn't know exactly how to get it. So like learning how to use the, uh, the auxiliary stay view has been helpful. Like, like one thing was I wanted to know, uh, how to more easily, easily measure the angles of bend, uh, because in the dialog box, you don't enter a degree of bend, but right. you can just turn on in the, in the dialog box that shows you the, uh, the dimensions, you can just turn on an angle so that you can see it as you're manipulating the other value i guess maybe that'd be interesting to be able to enter directly the degrees into the dialog box but um i don't know how much other users give you feedback that they would like to see development in that aspect of the software yeah i i yeah that that is something um i another change i've made for the next version is that you can now add three bends in any tube um oh, cool. and that'll be good for uh chain stays i think um but yeah, I guess, I guess uh, the ability to um, directly input the bend angle is something I've yet to implement. But yeah, that's something others have asked for as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it's kind of you know six six of one or half a dozen of the other. You know, it's like if if you're entering numbers of like millimeters of offset and you can see the degree change, you can you can pretty instantly uh, get the result that you want. You know, what you're doing yeah. is you're just modeling for the visual and then you're taking the degree of bend that you get and you're walking over to your bender and you're doing the bend. Or I guess in some cases, um, if you have off-the-shelf uh, tubes, then the, the bend is, is predetermined for you. And so I guess in that case, if you could measure the angle of bend and it was harder for you to measure the... Uh, the offset, the centerline offset or something, then you might prefer to do it by the angle. But uh, yeah, it's usually, it, it doesn't end up, it doesn't present an actual issue because it's pretty easy to get what you want if you just, uh, if you manipulate it. Yeah, right. And that, yeah, that's yeah, the, it's, it's, yeah. I was just going to say that I, I do appreciate feedback from users and I, I do get a fair bit and, um, a lot of the changes I make to the program are, are not necessarily things that I've come up with on my own, but but they're actually suggestions from from users. So that's been a been neat to see over the years. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the auxiliary stay view is, is a really cool feature that I didn't use that much in the beginning. But, um, you know, if you, if you go to your manufacturer's specs or you take empirical measurements so that you know uh, the size of your tire, the width of your tire, the, the size and placement of your chain rings, and then, uh, you know, you have that model, um, really helps to, to like sort of uh, start to lay out the bends for your, your chain stays and your seat stays uh, with, you know, pretty good results. And so, like in my YouTube series where I'm building the mountain bike, I showed for the chain stay bends, I laid it out uh, physically like on my table with the parts and I took measurements of what I wanted. And then in the next video for the seat stays, uh, I modeled that in bike CAD. And so I showed kind of both approaches because, uh, you know, the one is very low tech and you don't need a computer in the shop. And then the other one, uh, you know, I think is even easier when you can get away with it. Um, you know, the seat stays, I guess, are a little bit easier than the chain stays because you don't have to worry about chain ring interference. Uh, you just bend right. around the, the tire and uh, however wide it ends up being, I guess your only outside consideration would be ankle clearance, which I don't think usually comes into play with seat stays. Yeah. Hmm. When, uh, so when, when you do YouTube videos uh, to sort of like educate users like me on the features of BikeCAD, um, you know, I've seen that you've done that in the past and I appreciate that. Um, I mean, that's got to be, first of all, that's got to be useful to you to have people understand the features. Uh, and then also, you know, it's maybe promotional because people can see the benefits of BikeCAD without having to buy it. <clears throat> they get to see what the right. workflow looks like. But also, uh, you know, I just appreciate the value of education and sort of like sharing what it is that, uh, um, you know, what it is you know how to do and what it is that, that you know, helping people. I don't know. I just think that's, that's valuable. There's a lot of things that I've learned that I... Uh, I've learned through YouTube and YouTube videos, and so I always appreciate people who uh, take the time to make that sort of stuff. I think that that makes the this prospect of your software even more <clears throat> valuable to people because uh, because they can learn how to use it uh, from you. And like, if you go to the BikeCAD website and you, uh, you know, you click around, you'll see videos that explain all these different mm -hmm. features, and uh, really, I think makes it a, a solid product to 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 be able to learn how to use the the ins and outs of it and not. Because, you know, you can figure it out if you dink around with it, but, you know, right. it just takes time. Yeah, I appreciate that, and I, I, I'm looking forward to making more YouTube videos in the coming weeks because that's sort of my the way I do it. I, I develop the program, come up with a new version that I release, and then once the new version is ready, then I, I sh change gears and start making YouTube videos describing all the changes I made. And, mm -hmm. and once all that's done, then go back and repeat the process again. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually kind of feel like I have to make a few more videos about what I did in the last version, which, cause I mm -hmm. kind of skipped over so, some videos I probably should have made and uh, got right into developing this new version. But so I have to go back and do a bit more uh, documentation for what's already been, been mm -hmm. done. Yeah. Well, and I've always noticed that you have a pretty quick response time whenever I send you a question about something. Is that something that you end up spending quite a bit of time on every day, just like uh, answering user questions about how to how to get the most out of the software? Sometimes, but uh, but I do think, because, like, I guess if it, it used to be that if, if I got a question, I would just respond by email, and I, I still do that, but... Uh, but now if a question comes in and I, and I realize that it's not really answered on the website, then I'll 
not only respond to the, the person who asked it, but I'll I'll actually <laughs> add some explanation on the website. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, more people won't won't come to me with this with the same question. And yep. um, so because I guess because I've made an effort over the years to to just add um, add information to my frequently asked questions page. Um, I I do find that I, I get a lot fewer questions now because I guess I guess because hopefully they're, they're people are getting their questions answered on the website. But I'm I'm always happy to 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 get emails from people with any kind of question because it's a, a rem, it reminds me that people are continuing to use it and uh, and I'm always happy to see that. So mm-hmm. yeah. when you were when you were interested in making bikes, I mean, you had these these sort of whimsical, uh, you know, the couch bike and the treadmill bike ideas, and then you said you did a number of tandems. Uh, I, I mean, for me, when I was getting really interested in making bikes, um, I was really interested in like the artistry of the you know the the craftsmanship and the joinery and all that stuff. And uh, right. you know, being I, I'm sure that you are to some degree also, or maybe to a huge degree, but like. I mean, uh, what what kind of process things really um, caught your fancy? Did you did you do stuff with a brazed or a welded technique, or um, I don't know? I'm just curious to hear some more of that. Yeah, my, well, my first uh, job uh, was with V2 bicycles in France, which were known at the time for their bonded aluminum bikes. Whoa. They, um, I, I guess they made bonded aluminum bikes, and then they also got into bonded carbon fiber bikes as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I love that. I, I actually, I owned, uh, one of my first real nice road bikes that I owned was, uh, was a Vitus. And, um, so it was, I was like really stoked when I, I actually got a job with the company that had built this bike I'd ridden so many miles on. Um, and, and I, yeah, I, I just love their bikes. And, uh, but, uh, subsequently worked with, uh, synchro supplied technology. They made synchro stems and seat posts and stuff. Oh, yeah, and, yep. um, uh, I guess, uh, <laughs> a term they used a lot back, back in the day was their products were aggro. And I, I guess they're maybe, I like the look of their aggro products. Um, <laughs> they uh, and then I guess I worked for, um, a, a company in Australia that made bikes for us for Australia post and, and eventually went on to work for uh Krista Kerf in Vancouver who made, um, stunningly beautiful, uh, mountain bikes at the time, although he also made road bikes and now makes quite a few road bikes. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he was in the TIG, but also was, was really good with, I guess it, some of his bikes, he'd he'd often have a fillet braze section to it as well, and mm-hmm. I admired uh, I admired his fillet brazing, and um, um, but I I think I was more I more drawn to just the simplicity of a TIG weld, and um, n- not so much drawn to uh, things like lugs and and fillet brazing, which looks beautiful, but. Uh, mm-hmm maybe isn't as like doesn't give you a performance advantage over a mm-hmm. uh, it would be argued that it's it's not any more high performance than say a tig weld and yeah so 
so I, I guess I'm a little more practical and, <laughs> and in terms of artistry, uh, yeah, I guess I appreciated a, a, a well-executed, um, lugged bike. Um, but, uh, but I think I also felt like I had no, I had no real aspirations of trying to mimic that myself because I just felt like yeah. seeing, seeing how, um, see, watching Chris do his, work his magic <laughs> at the, at the curve. Like I, I, I realized like <laughs> I've got a long way to go before I'll be anywhere. Near you know, that's that good funny. And, Cause that, that's so similar, but sort of the opposite of, uh, last week I was, I had, you know, Brian Hollingsworth from Royal H on the show and he had taken at UBI a brazing and a TIG welding course back to back. And he right. never really got into TIG welding again because he was around all the brilliant fabricators at Seven Cycles. And so he said, yeah, basically the same thing that, you know, no, no need to learn TIG when you're surrounded by these people who are better than you would be <laughs> after even like a decade of practice or something. So might as well just stick to what he was already, uh, you know, good at and had gotten started at, which was lug work and brazing. And, um, you know, but it's funny because you can, you can just flip that around exactly uh, that it could be the other way too, feeling like... Uh, you know, whatever it is that you're you're already a little more comfortable with, or that already seems a little more accessible to you, it's like might as well just stay stay on the road you're on because you know these other people have really got their own thing figured out. And yeah, and yeah, so I guess uh, I, I guess I just got more excited about um, like rather than being just um, pouring all your creativity into making a beautiful lugged or filled braised road bike i wanted to make like a couch a bike. couch bike <laughs> uh, yeah yeah you know and that also reminds me a little bit of uh the the interview i had with uh eric from uh peacock groove because just you know he makes a lot of super straightforward and practical bikes but then he he you know he he makes more concept oriented bikes too maybe not quite as outlandish as the treadmill bike but you know he has the uh the um, the 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 e fat bike trike um yeah. and you know the w with the cargo bed and all these different things that are a little bit more out there and i i feel like i've noticed with his his work that it a lot of it is more of like the sort of broad broad strokes and uh concept ideas and um and i appreciate that about his work and i, I can see how uh it's it's kind of funny how if you go to nabs or something uh, the north american handmade bike show a lot of what you're going to see is like pretty straightforward diamond frame bikes and uh and it's about you know sort of the beauty and it's about you know tr maybe trying to hit the nail on the head in terms of geometry and rod quality and maybe it's about the the customer relation and you know really um taking care of your customer and listening to them or something but what you don't see at nabs so much right. is that like sort of concept bike where it's you know it's a couch bike or it's a uh, you know, something really out there. And, and it's kind of funny that, um, the there, there's, I feel like there's a pretty well-defined culture around the custom bike world in this moment. Like it's, um, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's it kind of, uh, not, not to say that it's stale or something or it's lacking in creativity, but it really is a, a little bit, you know, th the center of it is mostly pretty homogenous that people have a lot of shared values. And then I think it's interesting then the subtlety of the difference between people's perspectives uh, because not everybody has exactly the same perspective, but the bikes on the surface level are, you know, they're all pretty simple and uh, straightforward bikes that are trying to, you know, ride well. And, and so it's, it's cool then also to see the perspective of people who are like, no, let's do something weird. <laughs> yeah. 
have you uh have you had any i mean i, I know your uh bike cat is the main project and you're uh your full-time dad and um and that you know those things take up a lot of your time but have you had any crazy ideas for bikes more recently <laughs> yeah i um I guess another thing that I had to purge when I, in my latest move uh, to Ottawa was my, my TIG welder. I, I no longer even own one. Um, mm-hmm. But so I, I haven't um, really thought too much about, uh, about building more outlandish bikes. Um, I, uh, yeah, I guess my, my son is now getting to the point where he's riding his own bike a fair bit. And I, I, I guess after uh, a little bit of a hiatus there where I was just towing him around in my bike trailer I, and not feeling like much of a cyclist, I, I guess I, I feel like maybe I could. My son is getting to the age now where maybe together we can actually become real cyclists again. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and maybe, and maybe, He'll get to the age where we're together. We could start building something, something together, and yeah. look forward to that. But yeah, I, I, nothing on the immediate horizon. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I'll say that when I was younger, uh, you know, my dad always had a basement wood shop, and uh, he was a farmer, and they had a pretty crude fabrication shop with like MIG welders and a bandsaw, and so we had different projects where you know. Uh, we would make this or that, um, you know, wood projects. And then I think when I was in middle school, we turned a, it was really cool. We turned this old like seventies Honda motorcycle into a, like a dune buggy. It was a very big go-kart. And that was more my dad doing the fabrication than me, but it was like a really cool and special project. And, um, I never really thought about this before, but I would imagine if you, you know, parent child relationship, if you had the means to like, to make a tandem together or, or something. I don't know. It just seems like that would probably be a really cool project. I, uh, maybe if I ever yeah. have kids, I'll, I'll try and do that. It's, I, I, I imagine that's really hard to make the time for that kind of thing. Yeah, for sure. I, I can't quite imagine where the time's going to come from right now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, life is crazy. It's, it's bonkers. It's just, there's way too many things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I, I'm curious to hear a little bit about uh, Rattlecad, which is uh, another program, and you have a little bit of like a, you, you know some of the the history of that program. It's interesting because it's it's weirdly similar in some ways to BikeCAD, but it's a allegedly a different project. Or um, I, I'm just curious to hear uh, you uh, talk about Rattlecad just a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know a ton about it, um, but. Yeah, I guess um, there was once a time where people would would make the comment that yeah, I guess like Bikehead, wow, you, you don't really have any competitors, eh? It's just like there's nothing like this, eh? And, and I guess I would tell say, well, I guess Bikehead is a little bit like the alternative is you could use a generic CAD program, so that's uh, a little bit. Of, of a competitor for me, just any kind of CAD program is a competitor. And but bike CAD is also a bit of a, a bike fit tool. So and there's also fit schemes out there, um, fit systems and so on. So I guess those are competitors to bike CAD. But, but yeah, I would be able to conclude that. Yeah. But you know, there's nothing else really like bike CAD. So yeah, I have no, no competitors. And now I guess, um, now there is this rattle CAD uh, program that, I have to have to concede is a, 
a competitor to Bicad. Um, uh, I think it, I don't think I was aware of it when it first came out, but I, I, through some research, I think that it may have been started in 2008. Um, and it was developed or is still developed by uh, a guy from Austria named Manfred Rosenberg, I, I think. Um, I, I'm Facebook friends with him. I, I don't, I don't know too much about him, but, um, uh, but I guess we should be kindred spirits, uh, like both developing these computer programs that model bikes. I, um, uh, yeah, it would be neat to meet him some someday. But um, yeah, his started out as a, an open source project, um, and uh, it's now he now has a free version, just sort of like I do. But then, and just like I do, he has a a paid version as well, which I, I guess he's using the um, annual subscription scheme. So I, I guess he can get a the pro version for a hundred, I guess what amounts to about a hundred us per year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess his is developed in tickle, um, which is another programming language. I don't know a lot about, but um yeah, I, I guess um, it, it. I think it, for a long time it was known as just a free program, and and I think that a lot of people would say, well, if I had the money, I'd I'd buy a BikeCAD, but since I don't, I'll just use this free RattleCAD. And now, even RattleCAD is not well technically free anymore. Um, I guess it's we're now more more competitive, uh, or theoretically more competitive. I don't <laughs> actually know. Uh, it's not something I, I guess I don't think a lot about, about it. Like, uh, yeah, like we're f- f- in fierce competition for, uh-huh. well, you know, he's, he's, uh, yeah, not, not in your market, not going to the same, well, maybe in your market in a global sense, but not in your, uh, your local region, not going to trade shows. I don't hear much about Rattlecad. Um, and I certainly don't know. Uh, I don't know the product very well. I don't know um, if, if uh, you know, if you had questions or or stuff. Uh, what you know, I feel like a, a lot of what makes BikeCAD BikeCAD is just the, you know, that you're at the shows and that you're answering the emails and you're making the videos that help explain all the details. And so, you know, the piece of software itself is part of the value of of BikeCAD. But then another big chunk of the value comes from like. Uh, you know the the ongoing sort of um, additions to the software and the the answering of questions and stuff. And so I I don't know if you would get that with I guess I don't know anything about it. I I haven't looked into it that much. Yeah, I I guess I'm reluctant to to to, to make too many claims about Rattlecad because um, <laughs> I I guess I okay I think overall I I never really hear people say too many bad things about about BikeCAD, but it admittedly frustrates me every now and then if somebody posts some claim on a forum like that's just completely wrong. <laughs> and I guess I, I'm fearful of doing the same thing about RattleCAD, like just make, <laughs> making some ill-informed statement about it. But um, uh, one thing I, th- I think is kind of ironic uh, is I, I once actually sold a copy of BikeCAD to uh, a customer who, who who told me he came to he decided he was going to buy BikeCAD because um he 
he he considered Rattlecad, but uh, Rattlecad didn't have a German version, and I guess Rattlecad is only in English, which which is weird because it's developed by an Austrian who speaks presumably German as his first language, <laughs> but has made a probably a tactical decision to just develop in English because it's more universal. Uh-huh. Um, and I just coincidentally happened to have um, all kinds of different translated versions of Bicad. Oh, I didn't know about um, that. The German version, um, I I don't speak German myself, but uh, over the years I've had various enthusiastic uh, Bicad users contribute to the to the German translation to the point now where it's now a fairly complete German translation. So I managed to sell a copy of Bicad to a German who, uh, <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, and uh, I think that's interesting. Uh, I wanted to talk also about, um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but fitters. So, you know, like, I have to imagine some of your customer base is people who just own a fit studio and fit people on bikes, um, and I don't know I don't know that much about that. Do you think that that is, uh, uh, comprises a very big segment of, like, the, the customer base of Bikehead? Yeah, I I don't have a great sense of that. I I do promote it as a a fit tool and and it is it is very popular among fitters. I like I, I can say that because I know a lot of fitters who use it. I just don't know um I don't know what percentage of my sales of bike cab are I think the the bulk of my sales are to frame builders, but I but bike shops and fit specialists also buy it and I, I'm, I would guess, uh, without being, having a lot of statistics to back this up, but I would guess that maybe a quarter of my customers might be more on the bike shop, bike fitting end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, when people buy the program, they don't always, uh, like, there's no obligation to disclose your company yeah. name or anything like yeah, that. What, or, you're, what you're doing with it. So, so it's a lot of the time they're just anonymous names. I'm not sure if they're builders or, or fitters, but, um, but yeah, I guess I, I do get emails fairly regularly from, from fitters that just um, asking for some info or offering some suggestions for improvements and so on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess it's, it's exciting to think of what, the potential for that business because it's a uh, bike fitting, I think is a, is a, a pretty, uh, growing industry. And, and then of course, bike shops, there's yeah way more bike shops than bike builders. So yeah, to get more sales that way as well. So when it comes to the animated model of the rider on the bicycle that you get in bike CAD, um, right. What I mean, what went into like your research about the human body and like you know the biomechanics of riding a bike and stuff? I mean, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin, even if I and I don't know how to program, and uh, and I I'm not even you know any sort of expert or credible source about bike fitting really. But like when it comes to the you know making a model of the human body, like what did you do to make that part of the software and? Uh, you know, to make something that was actually useful. Right. Well, I guess uh, I'm. One thing I, I did is I, I made sure that every thing I, every coefficient I, I added to my model was um, 
was something that you could customize. So, so I'm not hard coding any kind of um, assumptions about the human body into the program. So if um, if you want to tweak it for your particular demographic or um, your fitting philosophy, you you can. And um, so I I guess I I don't with the the fit advisor, for example, which takes um, body geometry and then converts that to frame geometry. Um, I've got it set up um, so that it, right out of the box, I guess it will it will do that process for you. But but that process is also fully customizable, and I, I encourage people to to customize it to apply their own formula um, that mm-hmm. I think a lot of fitters do have their own um, processes that that uh, that can quite easily be just automated through BikeCAD. So it's more, that's what the, the process is more about because yeah, I, to be honest, I am not a biomechanic. Uh, I don't even know the word for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't know a lot about biomechanics. And uh, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, I've just, I just made it uh, flexible enough that, that you can apply any fitting philosophy yeah. to the program. And then, um, and, and one, the the thing I I think is is also of great value to fitters is just BikeCAD as a documentation tool. So if even if you've got a a size cycle or something like that that you use to to dial in a rider's fit, you can then take all those numbers off the size cycle, enter them into BikeCAD, and develop your frame geometry around around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, present your customer with a fully dimensioned drawing that's that has all the the relevant information from the fit cycle mm-hmm. built into it yeah yeah there's a there's in ann arbor uh in the spring every year uh, my friend frank does a show that's like the small the ann arbor um the handmade bike show in arbor yeah. michigan and so uh that mm-hmm. takes place in a in a fit studio uh uh, someone named Jess has a fit studio that's pretty cool, and she sells a lot of like uh, Waterfords and Sevens and different uh, custom bicycles. And so I might need okay. to have uh, her be a guest on the show at some point or something because I think the perspective of someone who's sort of dealing in custom bikes and who who focuses on fit would be in, an interesting perspective to have on the show because um, I mean, for someone like me, I really like out of all the things that I know about custom bikes, I think fit is one of the things that I really don't know that well. And someone who specialized in that would be really interesting to, to cover. And, um, and then also to know how, you know, the software plays into that because you need to be able to document things and you need to be able to make adjustments and you need to be able to communicate that to, uh, to, you know, the other professionals that you're working with. Right. I wonder how often a bike fitter, makes a bike CAD model of like the fit points and then sends that to a custom builder. Cause I'm, I bet that happens sometimes. I just don't know. <laughs> Have you heard of that much? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it definitely, it does happen a fair bit there. I, I know of some fitters that that's just their daily process. They oh, that's cool. Go and make a bike CAD drawing and then send it off to the builder that they have a relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So you're going to be at the Philly Bike Expo uh, in in November coming up here. Are you doing any seminars? I know sometimes you'll do a seminar where you talk about uh, BikeCAD, and then I imagine you in the Q and A you field questions about 
specifics that people have? Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not lined up to do a seminar in Philly, but uh, I look forward to seeing anyone uh, at the show because, yeah, I'll be there. At, uh, I've got a table. Um, and, yeah, I expect to just be sort of doing nonstop uh, demos through the day. So just I, I look forward to people coming by my booth and uh, sitting down and um, letting me walk them through. Um, some of the program and and hopefully getting answering any questions people might have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I Looking forward to seeing you there too. Yeah, yeah. It's a good time at the shows, and I know um, there have been you know when I was there, I had asked questions once or twice, and you pointed something out to me, which is cool to see. Uh, you know, you have the computer right there, and you can show people the features of it, and then uh, and then also you know I have uh, I have actually. Two bike CAD T-shirts now, but you can pick up a bike CAD T-shirt at the show, right? Is you'll have some. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, actually, yeah. good reminder. Um, I might have to uh, check my supplies and go get a, another run done before. Here's a here's a plug for the bike CAD T-shirt. Everybody should buy one at the show because not only is it a really cool looking shirt and a cool design, but uh, one of my <clears throat> one of my best friends uh, I made through wearing that bike shirt, and uh, uh, yeah, so I think it's. Um, it's, it's not only is it cool, but um, you might you might make a really cool friend if you have one. So. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Anyhow, um, well, I think that's uh, most of the questions I had for you, and uh, I really appreciate you being on the being on the show, being on the call, and making the the great product that you make and serving the industry because I think a lot of uh, you know if if you if you can't freely edit and make iterative changes to the design process and um, <clears throat> or even just all the things you can learn quickly by like making a change and seeing how one thing affects everything else. I think it helps people to be a better builder and it lowers the bar of entry. You don't need to be as good at CAD in order to, to make good bikes because your software is tailored to custom bikes and, and user-friendly. So I really appreciate the, the service that you provide and um, yeah, look forward to seeing you at Philly Bike Expo. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing you in November as well. Cool. Yeah, bye. All right. Talk to you later. Bye.